Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they've been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Apologetic Sunday. All right. Okay, welcome everyone to Bible Marathon. Um, for those of you who keep coming, thank you for coming back. For those of you who are joining us for the very first time, Bible Marathon is a platform where believers gather together and we train ourselves in the word of God. All right. And like, you know, if you've been here constantly with us, we try to reach to bridge those gaps that are missed um, in in the church. Generally, topics that are not really hammered on. And so we have things like hermeneutics, apologetics. We talk about our spiritual gifts and the charismatic ministry. And we also have sessions where we are vulnerable with each other. We pray for one another as the scriptures teach. Um, so if you're joining us for the first time, we love you and we welcome you. Today is going to be an amazing day. So just get ready. All right. Get ready. Um, but before we begin, I'm just going to ask um, Daniel to pray for us and then we'll jump in. So Daniel, the floor is yours. Um, lead us in the time of prayer. Okay. Um, Father, Lord, we thank you and we bless your name for another time that we have to come together, fellowshipping and diving deep into your word to be nourished and enriched in our spirits. We thank you, Father, for this platform and the growth that we've experienced so far. And we thank you, Father, for the plans that you have towards this platform. Lord, we pray that tonight is no different than any other night, but in fact, it's even better than all the other nights that we are enlightened we are enriched oh father for the progression of the gospel that we are empowered by the understanding of your word and we are ensured of our place in christ in the family of god thank you father for in jesus name we have prayed amen amen thank you so much daniel all right so we are going to get started and as you already know, this is Apologetic Sunday. And Apologetic Sunday is dedicated to the defense of our faith, all right, the hope that we have. And um, we're going to have an amazing time because I'm going to be shutting today. <laughs> NS is not going to be talking too much today. I have someone else who's going to be, be, uh, be a blessing to us in no small way, all right? I've known her for a really long time. She's a sister. She's a friend. You know, and um, you're going to be blown away by God's spirit. Um, just a few things to know about her. Her name is Fee. Um, and here, this is, I just want to give a heads up, all right? This is not a church setting in the sense that um, it's, it's, we try as much as possible to make sure that there's room for questions, room for interaction. So use that chat box very well. If you have any questions along the way, bring it up. If you have anything that you want clarity on, feel free to communicate that. All right. So a little background to, I, I didn't want to waste too much time talking about how we met, but um, I would, I'll basically just give you a little insight. Fini is prolific. She's a prolific writer. Um, and she's also an amazing speaker. When you hear her speak, I'm not trying to make your head swell, but it's the truth. I don't know if any of you follows her on um, 
any social media platform, but there's always something powerful uh, to read by her. Um, she has a platform called When Temples Gather. It's been growing for a while, and very soon there's going to be a physical location in the U.S., which is something I'm actually very excited about. Um, and I think a few people here are from When Temples Gather, right? If you're here and you are from that ministry, can I see a sign, a hand? Yeah, Luke. Hi, Luke. Hi, Damilola. Awesome. I, I know this name. I know Damilola very well, I think. Amavie. I'm going to meet you guys at some point in, in the course of this. We're going to get to know each other. But yeah, um, I'm not going to waste so much time anymore. The, today's topic is apologia. All right. And I'm sure she's going to give us a little bit of a background to what that is. But at this point, I want you to pay close attention. All right. Let God's spirit bless you today. Everything you're going to learn, it's not just for intellectual prowess or, oh, I know this. Remember, we have a message to preach to the world. We have a gospel to defend. We have lives to bring to the light of the gospel. And so this is one aspect of our Christian faith that shouldn't be left to the side. All right. So without any further ado, I'm going to welcome Fini to the floor. Fini, the floor is yours now. Thank you so much. All right. Um, all right. Hi. Um, so hi. First off, I want to thank I want to thank Ernest. Um, I think that as co-shepherds, nothing you know is more honorable than for you to say I trust what you have to say will be good for my sheep. Right. Um, I'm I'm genuinely honored. I can't see you. I don't know. Oh, there we go. I can see myself a little bit. Um, I'm using my mom's iPad, and that's why the name is Stella B. <laughs> um, so today I am um, I'm going to talk about something that's not not conventional. Um, but before getting that, let's just pray in the spirit. If you speak in tongues, speak in tongues for a few, just a few seconds, right? Jesus be glorified. Jesus be glorified. Amen. Amen. All right. I feel like I feel like a guest minister. I feel like a guest minister. I feel like I should have my hands together like this and just, you know, that deep look. Today I have prepared a message that I titled, I titled In Defense of the Faith. So the topic you should have is apologia, have a colon or a semicolon in defense of the faith. Can somebody tell us what the word origin of apologetics is? Apologia, apologetics. Does anyone know? Does anyone want to tell us? The floor is open to anyone except Ernest. The big fuckers of the horse penis. Oh, so I think we have somebody that just came here to just like be a menace to the thing. That's fine. That's understandable. Um, but does someone actually know? To defend something. To defend the faith. Thank you very much. Um, I, I will just quickly address that. I think it's a waste of both your time and our time to just come here with no actual desire to be here. Right? But do you? All right. So it means to defend the faith. And it's found from, you know, a portion of scripture that says, always be ready to give a defense for your faith. 
Um, and most people will. It's fine. It's fine. Um, most people will tell you that um, apologetics is is just defense of the Christian faith, but in reality, the idea of apologiant is is the word that gives birth to the English word apologist, right? And apologetics, which means to just defend anything in itself, right? So apologia means to defend an ideal. It could be a faith system. And that's why I can use the word, you know, rape apologists. We have Muslim apologists. We have Buddhist apologists. We have many Buddhist apologetics as well. It's just the idea that something or a stance can be defended. And whoever defends that stance is called an apologist. Um, and the application of this within Christian context is a defense for what you believe as a Christian. Um, typically, it's, it's taken to the um, views of science, archaeology, epistemology, logic, and history to search out a cause within the Christian faith. But the word apologia is actually mentioned and practiced in the Bible, when hardly science, archaeology, epistemology, logic, or history are really, really developed, right? So right now we can search out and find that about 90% of the places mentioned in Luke are historically sound, geographically there, and archaeologically confirmed, right? Um, and we can find out that there are actually scientific proof that just actually died and rose using the you know, details from scripture. Um, but at the time they did not have that. And yet the word was used then, and it was a practice then. Um, and I said that to say that there is a searching that I want us to do together into what apologetics meant then. Um, and for this, I'm going to just heed to the Holy Ghost. <sighs> All right. I genuinely believe that MS did do an amazing job at covering different topics, right? From does God exist to can we prove Christ rose from the dead to um, is God good? Right? Is the, does truth exist? Is the Bible valid? Is the Bible authentic? Can we trust the Gospels? Can we trust that Jesus was the person who died and who rose? Um, but today I want to address an important part of apologetics. <laughs> I have taxed myself with one agenda to show you that apologetics was first a scriptural work, that fundamentally and at heart, apologetics is a work of the spirit. Science, archaeology, epistemology, philosophy, all those things are tools, but the application is always by the spirit. It is the spirit that puts them to work. The goal of this is to make you understand that while you can invest time, thoughts, and heart in it, while you can search through different forms of, of knowledge, right? You cannot rely on what you know. You must always rely on the spirit. We must rely on who we know, not what we know. We must rely on the spirit by which we are sealed. It is how the fathers of faith did it. And so it is how we shall do it. Today, we're going to quickly go over the apology of Peter. i seen in the scripture. I know you're probably expecting something else, um, but this has been on my heart to mention so well. The apology of Peter is seen in Acts chapter two, from verse 14 to 39. We're not reading the entire chapter, but I've broken it down to different things that happened. Thank you very much. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now, before we read what he actually said, I want to call your mind to something else about Peter, a different event that happened in, um, in John. I have it here. In the book of John, 
John chapter 18 from verse 15 to 27. This is an interesting thing because we have Peter, the same Peter that is now standing in front of almost hundreds of people. And this is, you know, historically accurate that we have hundreds of people come into Jerusalem during Pentecost, right? So he's standing before hundreds of people, um, hundreds of thousands of people, right? hundred thousands of people. And he's talking to them. We see that same Peter in John chapter 15. Is it John chapter 18, rather? John 18, verse 15. And Simon Peter followed and saw the another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went so, 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 so. Verse 17. The servant asked, who kept the door, said to Peter, you are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. In verse 25, he denies Jesus again. Now Simon Peter stood and warned himself. Therefore, they said to him, you're not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of them, of him who's Peter's, who's here Peter caught off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied again and immediately a rooster crowed. So we have Peter, timid. That same Peter stands in Acts chapter 2 and declares the counsel of God boldly before people. What was the difference between that Peter and this Peter? Does someone want to take a shot? The Holy Spirit. Exactly. Thank you. This Peter is full of spirit. The first precedent for, and this, this is the first recorded apologetics or apology we ever see in the Bible. Somebody comes and asks Peter a question, why are you all acting like drunken fools? And he gives a defense of his faith. So this is apologetics in the flesh in a sense. And it's the first ever recorded instance of it. And the person who does it is what? Full of spirit. And that's not all, right? So this person is bold. His boldness is clearly not natural because if it was natural, the regular Peter is timid. He denied Jesus. This Peter, full of spirit, is bold. He speaks with so much boldness, but it's not just boldness he speaks with. He speaks with scriptural wisdom. What we see is a, almost the first recorded exegesis of how scriptures reveal Christ. This is the same Peter that when Jesus was going to die, he said, God forbid you will not die. He now stands and declares, and I'm going to read it out to you. Acts chapter 2. And the craziest part is the background of Peter is that he's a fisherman. So Peter did not go to Oxford School of Theology. Yes, Stella, could you take off your shirt for me, please? I want to see your boots. He did not go to Cambridge, Cambridge, um, Cambridge Seminary. Peter was a fisherman. He didn't have access to even understanding or grasping the laws. Not as much as Paul did. But this man that was standing before them was a fisherman, but was a fisherman full of the spirit. And so I'm going to read out what he said. The same Peter that said, oh, Jesus, do not die. Um, comes and says, men of Israel, this is Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did through him in your midst, you yourself also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, crucified and put to death, 
whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Right? And so we see, what we see that is the difference is, first of all, scriptural awareness, right? Knowledge, sound knowledge, but there is a function of the spirit. Are we together? And not to say the Holy Ghost taught him. The, the, the thesis I'm making to you tonight is that everything can be a tool, but the application must be by a man that is full of spirit. That is my plea to you. And it's not to say you can't make arguments without being full of spirit. You can. But the world has never been changed by men that have not been supernatural. Any man who has changed this world for Jesus has been full of spirit. And what is the use of apologists if he did not choose to change the world for Christ? Is it just a ploy to, you know, um, appease your own ego? If you're in it for the reason God is in it, you must do it the way God wants you to do it. Any man who will stand and defend the faith must be full of spirit. Peter was a fisherman. It wouldn't, it, it's not normal that he knew the counsel of God, right? So no, Peter did not go to Cambridge School of, of, of Theology or this and that, but he walked with Jesus. Are we together? He walked with Jesus. Your walk matters. Your walk matters. Christianity is a supernatural faith and it cannot be defended outside being a supernatural being. It's a supernatural faith. And I, and I need you to understand that it's important for you to learn intelligent arguments. It's important for you to learn how you can prove literally through science that Christ rose from the dead. But you must choose not to do any of that without being full of spirit. Are we together? Because what we'll have is testimony without power. Are we together? I can't see chats. I can't see if there are resonations, but that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. And so I'm going to go through Peter's apology, and then that will now be a, a framework for which I, I think can be applied. It's not the state, but I think it should be applied. And that's my, my thesis to you tonight. The Holy Ghost is an important part of apologetics. It's not just um, epistemology and, and cosmological arguments. All of those are important. We must be full of spirit. Um. Thank you, Jesus. So Peter's, um, Peter's uh, apology and Peter's defense of the faith can be broken down into about seven different portions, right? Where it started off with a question. A question arose because believers were speaking in tongues. And this began in Acts, the early part of um, Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 14, Peter prepares an answer. An answer that eventually even answers the question they never asked but posed. Right. Um, and so verse 14 to um to 15, he begins to answer in verse 16, he begins to make a theological defense using scripture. So you, the new day believer, can use big bang theory or something you learned, right? <laughs> but he uses he uses scripture and uses draw because the question really was answered in that. Um, and it says, and it shall come to pass in the last day, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and young men shall see visions, all of that. Um, after that, he dwelled on the person of Jesus. Um, and this was in verse 22. He said, men of Israel here, this was Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by this and that. He dwelled on the person of Jesus, made a theological difference for the resurrection. He said, listen, this happened a few days ago. <laughs> Some days ago, Christ rose from the dead. 
death could not hold him down. He testified, and the testimony of Jesus is central to apologetics, right? It's central to everything of apologetics, ultimately. Um, and then he said in, in verse 6, in, in the sixth part, I've talked about the fifth part. In the sixth part, he, but before that, he referenced recent happenings to death and resurrection of Christ, and then made a theological defense for the resurrection of Christ in verse 22 to verse 35. And then he answered a question they never knew they even posed. Um, in verse 36, he begins to say, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Their question first started with, Why do you look drunk? But his response led to a different question. So, what should I do now? Um, and he said, now, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Right? And so this is the first altar call <laughs> that is recorded in scripture. Um, but what I also want to note and what can be learned as an apologist is after that, the Bible says about 30,000 people were added to the church. And you think, yay, oh my God, 30,000 people. My question first was, the way the Bible puts it is this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So it was those who gladly received his words that were baptized. There were people who did not gladly receive his word. because there's this false sense where we think that apologetic is successful if everyone who hears us believes what we say. But this was successful. And, and this wasn't everybody that was there. The Pentecost contains about 100,000 people from different places. So out of about 100,000 people, 30,000 believe, that's a 30% <laughs> ton. Do you understand? And that itself was joyful. And so we must adopt the concept of God who leaves 99 for one because the one is important. So no person is too small. No number is too small. No, no victory is too small. Are we together? In some cases, and this is in Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and argues with people for three years, three full years. And after I argued with so many people, we found that they would not return he took 12 disciples unto himself and trained them. And from that, a church grew in Ephesus. And Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. It started with 12 people who were only 12 out of the people that just, do you understand? Right? And th there is a, a God-minded idea of people that you must adopt where everyone matters. Everyone matters. It is consumerist to say, but the 70, oh my God, such a failure. No, heaven has rejoiced over those. Do you understand? And I think that's important. Um, and so we'll go back to the idea that the person who spoke and the person who got about 30 people, you know, um, turned into Christians was full of spirit, was full of spirit. And I know that you probably expected me to come and, and teach on, on different topics about apologetics. And I will do that, right? I still have time, but I feel like this is an important part. We cannot, the purpose of apologetics is not just to show off what you know, 
It is to win this world over for Jesus. God has an agenda. His agenda is that Jesus is glorified in every heart. This is God's eternal will as explained in Ephesians 1. Right? God's will is that hearts will know him. God's will is that hearts will know him. Right? He has an agenda. And when you decide to take on apologetics as a Christian, you are saying God's agenda is my agenda. You cannot do it without being full of spirit. You cannot. You can't expect to do it without being full of spirit. There's a fact with the Holy Ghost is literally God's wisdom. What I do you understand is an integral part of the work to be full at every point throughout Acts where there was a defense of the of, of the faith, the people who did it were full of spirits. What, what are you doing? Was it Paul when he went to Athens and saw, and saw him speak to an unknown God? Was it Paul at the temple in Ephesus? <laughs> they were all full of the spirits. Peter in this verse had literally just spoken tongues. I must understand that being full of the spirit does not just mean, oh, I'm full. It means to have influence of the Holy Ghost. There are times in my conversations with people, I look at what I say and it's, I, this cannot be me. And it's not modesty. Anyone who knows me knows I'm confident. If I did something, I did it. I'm not this smart. There is a way that God applies the utensils you give him within you. And you just see application of it. Like, this cannot, you can't afford to stand for God without being full of spirit. You can't afford it. You cannot afford it. And, and that's what I want to instill in you. If I do, if I do anything right today, let it be that. Right? I hope that Ernest will hold your hands through apologetics well. If I do anything well, let it be that. That you must decide you will be full of spirits. Let the Holy Ghost influence you. The man, Peter, that stood before some people and said Christ died was influenced by the Holy Ghost. That's the difference. One was, was more concerned about himself. The other one was already full of the Holy Ghost. He knew he had nothing to lose. Do you understand that there, there are ideas, doctrines that the Holy Ghost will form in your heart? You can't afford to not be supernatural. You are defending a supernatural faith. Are we together? I also want to mention that I have a culture of having people that I talk to commit themselves. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. You can't afford to not be full of spirit, right? And so one of the things I always tell people is you want people to come into a relationship with God. What does your relationship with God look like, right? Um, I'm very big on Christians that will sit down, give you proper intelligent arguments and go in their corners speaking tongues. Ah, Yavala, do you know what God will do with men like that? Do you know what God will do with men like that? Men full of wisdom and power. That's what God is raising. Not men who are just in it to say, I know cosmological. Do the work. The work is not just research. It is labor in prayer. Do you understand? Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. The work is also labor in prayer. It is also labor in prayer. And, and I'm sure that Ernest has done a good work. <laughs> I'm sure Ernest has done a good work emphasizing that. But, but I must say, anyone that would decide, apologetics is not just a physical thing for us, it's a supernatural work as well. 
we are making a case for a supernatural. <sighs> Jesus rose from the dead. The grave is empty. What? I want to defend that by just waking up. Uh, no, what? No, no. And there's a fact where it's even your delight as a believer to be a man full of the spirit or a woman full of the spirit, right? Having said that, I want to mention, <laughs> um, I want to mention, and I feel like it's, it's just explicit at this point, everyone who has changed this world for Jesus throughout scripture has been full of spirit. You cannot, you cannot try to change the world with your intellect alone. You cannot try to change the world with your good intentions alone. You must do it with the Holy Ghost. You must do it with the Holy Ghost. That's how the fathers of faith did it. That is how you will do it. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Now, having established that, I will now go into what I call a syllabus of apologetics. Um, and I'm mentioning this not because I um, not because I think Ernest will not mention it with you, but because I think that it creates a more holistic idea to um I also need to mention that it creates a more holistic idea to the concept of, of even doing things by the spirit, right? Um so what I call this levels for apologetics is you, you have to think of of issues to their central bits, right? Um let's say you want to argue. Does God exist? You can't just come up with the argument. You first have to establish, does truth exist? Because if I can't talk to someone who believes that truth exists, we have nowhere to go, right? So for me to even say, this is true, I first have to be talking to someone who believes truth exists, right? Oh, thank you, Jesus, for this. Thank you so much. I first have to be, um, be talking to someone who believes that truth exists, right? So I, I believe that they are, um, there's a syllabus approach to, to um. So apologetics, the same way there's a syllabus approach to um, even doctrine, right? Um, and I also think, so you might want to think about that yourself, right? Think about, if I want to talk about something like the resurrection of Christ, first, there's a question of why should I believe what the Bible says? So you have to talk about the valid, um, valid, validity of the Bible, the authenticity of the Gospels, right? Um, the Bible is just a book that was written by so many people. Okay, but do you understand? Like there are defenses and, and responses to all these things. So try to think of it in a syllabus manner instead of just attacking problems independently because every problem is interconnected or every question is interconnected and some people can see it as the interconnectedness of errors but i see it as the interconnectedness of god right um and there's that part and finally what i want to discuss today is how to apply what you have learned so my favorite things to talk about <laughs> how do you apply okay so you go through apologetics i see you um, attend Bible Marathon every time they have apologetic classes, and you learn so much about, oh, how to defend your faith. Well, how do you strike a conversation with people? Because, believe it or not, there is almost a stigma surrounding Christianity. Um, There are some people who believe that, well, and this is because of being poorly taught, but they just believe that, well, you know what, you can't even prove that God exists in the first place. Right? Um, There are people who believe it's stupid to think you have a sky daddy. <laughs> Right. And so being aware that these people exist, there is an internalized sense of, oh, well, can I really do this? Right. Um, so how do you approach people? I call this the, <laughs> the thirst trap. <laughs> and it's a biblical model, I promise you. I know that the word, the naming sounds secular and maybe terrible, <laughs> but it, it, it's something I got from scripture. Right. And I named it that way intentionally because it sounds controversial. Um, 
and it, it comes from from Jesus sitting at the well, the Samaritan woman. And he sits at the well with her and asks her for water. He starts with a very secular topic, a very, very secular topic. Literally, I'm thirsty. Can I have water? The woman looks at him and instantly brings up secular topics as well. Tribal divides. She says, listen, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. There's the fact that she's a woman, he's a man. So she brings that up and says, why are you here? Why are you with me? Um, and then Jesus looks at that secular response and turns it, and this is why I say wisdom is important. Holy Ghost is important. And turns it around and says, but if you really knew the gift of God, you'd have asked me for water. That's why I call it the thirst trap. You use his thirst to lead her <laughs> into the gospel, right? And so he says, if you knew the gift of God, you'd have asked me for water. And she says, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that's how the gospel is preached, right? And I think that you can adopt this model into so many people. I'll give you a good example. My friends and I, 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 work, I work in a an interesting establishment where there are so many different types of people um, with so many different things they believe in. And so this young woman, and there are times when it's just outright, what do you think about God? <laughs> right? So this young woman and I just finished um, working and she was waiting for her boyfriend to pick her up. I said, you know, come wait in my car so you're not out in the rain. We stayed in my car and I was like, you know, what? I'll just ask you up front. I am a Christian. I am a Christian, Christian, Christian. Like I carry God's matter on my head like this. What do you think about God? And she said, well, I used to have a relationship with him, but now I'm just, I believe in the universe. And always, I was like, okay, so tell me why you believe in the universe. You'll be shocked that people are, are very, it's, there's this belief that when you speak, people don't want to listen. It's a lie. People actually don't want to talk. <laughs> I found that, right? I said, okay, so why do you believe in the universe? And she said to tell me this and that. And that's how we had a full-on conversation. When her boyfriend came out to say, your boyfriend is here, can you go? She said, oh, I would love for us to continue this conversation after. And we did, right? And now she's more tender towards the side of being a Christian. That time, there was one time she called myself, I pray to God today. Imagine if I just let that pass, right? There are times when it's just full-on. What do you think about God, right? And there's a part where you should not be ashamed to actively identify as Christian. Lights cannot try to be hidden. I cannot try to, and all of these things are important, right? Now, the other part that I call the thirst trap model, <laughs> I laugh at that every time, um, is, is um, just like Jesus did, right? There are times when you're, this young girl and I were talking back and forth, and then I was listening to music, and she's like, oh, what are you listening to? I said, Christian music. She said, oh, my mom listens to that. I was like, oh, so what songs do you listen to? She's like, I listen to trap. Sometimes I like this guy, I like this and that. I was like, yeah, but you say your mom listens to gospel music. You say, I said, oh, what is the gospel? And she said, um, isn't it music? I said, well, the gospel is a message. She's like, well, I kind of fell out of church after that. Like I had this thing where I kind of fell out of church. I was like, would you be up for us to talk about whatever it is left to you? She was like, yeah, that she just had questions. I said, okay, I genuinely am open to us having conversations back and forth, and I'm not going to force anything down your throat, clearly. But you have questions, I'll listen to them. And if there are answers to them, I will let you know, because I believe that Christianity is a logical faith. She said, really? All right, I'm down for that. And that's thirst trapping people. Another one, <laughs> my friend and I were talking, this one seems kind of religious. His name is James. And then next thing he said, oh, Jesus Christ. I said, you believe in him? <laughs> are you a Christian? 
he said he said oh no 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 I'm trying to be a Muslim I feel like Islam is better I said oh tell me why and his question was that he never really understood the trinity that he tried to ask the church why is God three in one and they told him not to question God I said well what what if I answered a question for you he said absolutely let me hear what you have to say and then I explained that the United States technically has one government but it also technically has three governments it is one government divided into three, each one having their distinct parts and correlational parts. So we have the judiciary, the executive, and the legislative, and they all matter to each other. In the same way, God is in three places, in, in three portions, in a sense. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Father is responsible for architecting salvation. The Son is responsible for executing salvation. The Holy Ghost is responsible for guaranteeing salvation. He said, oh, wow. Yo, I said, are you open for us to talk about why Islam doesn't make that much sense? He said, absolutely. I said, well, first of the Quran was written by one person, just one person who believes that he got, you know, this revelation that let me let you know is not congruent or does not corroborate with historical reports. Right? He says Jesus Christ never died. Jesus Christ died according to history. So we have a man who comes centuries after the Bible was written. Are you expect me to logically believe what he has to say? The Gospels were written 35 to 40 years after the death of Christ. Historically, there is no biography that is written about a historical figure that is that close to the historical figure. The biography of Alexander the Great are seen as historically accurate. And they're written about a century after the death of Alexander the Great. So false ideas of, of all these things will actually come about a century after the death of a person. Jesus' biography was written literally a flash second of his death. I can trust what that has to say. More than a Quran written centuries after claiming to be there. He was, he was not even born. Do you understand? I was like, oh, whoa, that makes sense. I got to hold up there. I said, hold up there, please. I have more for you. And do you understand? <laughs> and do you understand? And, and, that's why, and that's why I'm saying that you can't just apologetics with this. How do you apply it? Are you afraid to let your friends know you're Christian? If you are, don't stress us. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. You have to get to a point in your heart. And one of the things that people say is, well, I don't know if I can do it. You must know. That's why I say be a man full of the spirit. The difference is influence. Peter denied Jesus. That same Peter got beaten for Jesus and he counted it all joy. After the, the rejoice that were, do you know the difference? It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost that changes men. You can't afford to try to change this world without being changed by God. You can't afford it. You can't. And you must know that apologetics is not just play. It's, it's work. It's work. And it is God's agenda. Don't do it without honor. Do you understand? So this matters to me. I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> it matters to God. You must do it right. We have men who are staying at the shores, saying, I'm afraid of walking on water. When, the, when God is saying, it is me who will keep you from falling. Will you trust God? Right? And I'm, I'm literally saying, give yourself to the school of the Spirit. Let God change you. Hi, to get to a point, you don't even care what they think. Did you understand? And, and it's literally the influence of the Holy Ghost. I will never forget what happens in Acts chapter 4. It's Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. After disciples had been beaten, they had been beaten, they gathered together. And they said, God, look, oh, they have beaten us. 
And as if knowing what that beating will do, they said, give us boldness. They did not say beat them up too. They did not say let them die by fire. They said, give us boldness, change us, work on us, empower us to do what you have called us to do. You cannot stand for God and not be on your knees. You cannot, you cannot. A man who will lead many to God must be led by God. Do you understand? Do you understand? This matters so much to me. Yeah. It matters so much yeah. to me. We have so many believers yeah. that are living a life that is devoid of power. We can't afford. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Not anymore. All right. So this desire for apologetics, groom it in prayer. Say, God, take away what needs to be taken away. Change me. Set my heart aflame for you. This matters very much to me. Matters very much to God. And God will have men who listen to him. Men who have a relationship with him. You will have them stand. You will have them stand. You will have them stand. I will end with this story. At my work of play, a place of work as well. Um, <laughs> I have these two boys. <laughs> that I literally see them as my kids. Are they older than me? That's not the point. That's not the point. That's not the point. Are they years old? That's not the point. That's not the point. Um, I see them as my kids, and and I love them very dearly. And so one day they were going back and forth about who was worse, <laughs> about who was just a terrible person. Period. So one of them said, "Oh." I'm sure God has a special place in hell for you. <laughs> he said that when the other guy will come up, God will just say, hmm, you, oh, you, <laughs> special place in hell. And the other guy said, no cap, no cap. Do you know how many times I've lied? How many times I've stolen? And my heart grieves for people who don't know the gospel. Oh, my heart breaks so much, so much, because God's heart breaks on it. And so I, I, the Holy Ghost, and I, I was afraid because I didn't want to cut into your conversation. It was because before we became friends, it was that event that made us close, <laughs> right? So before we became friends, I was afraid of jumping, being into that conversation. I was like, and then the Holy Ghost said, ask them what the gospel is. I said, but Papa, did you not, they did not ask me to talk. <laughs> it's their conversation. <laughs> I should mind my business. He said, your business is my business. Ask them what the gospel is. I said, yes, Father. I said, okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you guys. Is it okay? He said, sure. I said, what is the gospel? And it's always the same answer. Isn't it music? Ah! I said, hey, no, it's not. The gospel is a message. It's the message that Christ came, died, and rose. And just as if I had opened a tap, they began to ask me questions. One of them asked, why do we need the Holy Ghost? I said, well, and I explained. He said, because the Holy Ghost never really made sense to me. At the time, they believed in something called the collective, the idea that we are all energy trapped in a cycle. And so the energy that exists is energy that returns. So everybody is reincarnated. And I said, okay, so you have a collective, but the collective have in mind? He said, no, it's just energy. We are all a consciousness. I said, if we're all a consciousness, explain morality. The guy, one of the guys I was talking to was black. I said, is it okay for you to be lynched? He said, no. I said, all right, he had a girlfriend. I said, is it okay for her to be raped? He said, no. I said, okay, but how do you explain that? Why is it bad? What makes it bad? Who says it is bad? He says, but people can just feel what they want, right? Like people can feel if, if I feel like it's bad, then maybe it's bad. People live their own truth. I said, but is it bad? Because if you say they live their own truth, you're saying that 
if they can they can legalize morality based on what they want. So if a man comes up to your house, barges in, sexually harasses the person you love, and says, I was right, was he right? He said, obviously, no. I said, exactly. The collective cannot account for morality. It cannot. And then he said, okay, that's valid. And I used that example to say, the leading of God. God is very passionate about his work. And he's looking for men who want their hearts to be changed. So they'll be passionate for his work. To men who will learn that they have nothing to lose. That's the people God is raising in this season. We must know. And in the next 10 years, we'll see Christians that don't care. That don't. Will you be one of them? That don't care. That believe I have everything to gain for Jesus and nothing to lose. That don't care. And that work is a hard work. Nobody gets there on their own. Nobody gets there on their own. It's a hard work. Are we together, family? And we're all the family of God. Are yes, we ma'am. All yeah. right. Yes. And that is all I have to say to you today. Apologetics, like every other supernatural work, is a supernatural work. It must be done by men who have listened to God's heart, who will listen to God's leading, who will do what God has asked them to do. Amen. Amen. I will now give the floor to questions. I don't want any question that is too extensive. Like if you come here and ask me, oh, does God exist? I feel deck you with all due respect. <laughs> because time is far spent. Um Time is fast spent. I, I did not. I did not intend to actually defend the faith. I intended to prepare men that will defend the faith, and I and I am grateful that that's what I did. So yeah, any questions? <laughs> I think there's a hand raised, Jemima. All right, let me hear it. Hi, Fi. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure seeing you. And I follow your content and I really enjoy it. Um, so um, I have this, well, sometimes I don't open this application because most times when I open it, I just get really riled up with anger because of the rubbish that people are spewing. It's obvious that they don't study and they just run with the common narrative. But there's this person on my timeline that keeps um, saying something along the lines of, um, religion came to Africa to, you know, so that it would be easier to put people in bondage and things along that line. And he runs the narrative that they should break break loose from it. And he later he wake up and say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm not looking for a religion. I'm looking for family. And this is... The, uh, yeah. I feel you. I feel exactly. You. I don't exactly know what to tell this person because I feel like he should know better. But mm-hmm. they don't buy this narrative and they just decide to run with it. And I don't know what to do. What All do right. you advise? I have a joke first. How much were they selling the narrative that he bought it for? So we can refund it when he returns it. But that's besides the point. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, the yeah. response to that is simple. If, if, if religion was come to, came to subjugate Africa, right? Um, what was the excuse when it was first made? Right? Who were they subjugating? Because you're, it's historically inaccurate. First off, and that idea always comes with the idea that Christian, um, Christianity is a white man's religion. Wrong. It's a brown man's religion. 
It's a Jewish religion. It was founded in Asia. You won't fight. It's Abrahamic. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Europe. Europe contaminated it. And that's the truth. They really did, right? They mixed it up with white supremacy and slavery and all of that, right? But if you're saying Christianity at heart, right, was made for subjugation, how do you explain that these founders were killed, tortured, beaten? Who were they subjugating? Who? Who was forced subjugating in prisons? Who? It may, it's inconsistent. It's clear you're not studying. It's inconsistent. Now, do I believe that the way that, and listen, I study history, American history, African history, African American history, right? At every point, Christianity has been used as an excuse. Now, it's not the proper, right, sound interpretation of Christianity. It's been a perverted version of it, where people's greed, right? is more God to them than the Messiah. Absolutely. And there's a truth. It's actually true that Christianity was used as a form of subjugation. It's true. But the fact that it was weaponized does not mean it is invalid. I'll use an example. Let's say I, I have self-esteem issues, right? Um, and this is just, you can even read more into this if you want, but this is just an example. I have self-esteem issues. Right. Sometimes I feel like I'm not pretty enough, even though I be babe. But that's not the point. Sometimes I feel like I'm not pretty enough. I just feel like I'm not enough. Right. That's true. That's valid. But then I now use it to weaponize relationships. Right. Where I say, are you treating me like this because I feel like I'm not good enough? Ah. And I know you feel like this, but are you feeling fine? Do you understand? So it's possible you cannot judge an institution based on its abuse. You cannot judge the validity of an institution based on its abuse. It's inconsistent. If you want to judge if Christianity is true, go to the crux of the matter. Go to the Bible. Did Jesus Christ die and rise from the dead? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is God's grave empty? Yes. Okay, so this is valid. People have used it for the wrong things. And it's sad that they have. In fact, and this is a response to the same thing with slavery in America. It wasn't proper interpretation of scripture. The same thing with the Spanish conquest. It was white supremacy, period. And the Bible is not about white supremacy. It's not even about white people or black people or Jewish people. It's about Christ. Do you understand? So that's a valid response. Does that response make sense to you? Yes, it does. Thank you so much, Fanny. You're welcome. Anybody else? Yeah, makes sense. Anybody else? I can't there see hands hand. raised. There is a hand. Um, Kelechi is going to speak. Right. Kelechi, please speak. I am not a can you, can you all hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, Finn, this was very. This was a very great um, conversation, or rather, a very great motivation. But I have some couple of questions, and the questions I have, I've had them for a while. Mm -hmm. You just my internet is bad. Just so if you can't hear, just 
So, so, so I can so I can um, repeat myself. Treasure, please leave me alone. So <laughs> go ahead, So now there is there is there is a concept to there is there is a concept of suffering, right? And then we have, I mean, and um, Ernest, we did this last week. A concept of suffering. And then there is a, there is a, there is also a concept of the absolute truth being absolute. And when we have um, people, when when the Bible assures us of something, right? Say say for example, the Bible says, um, "If you pray, you shall receive," right? Or the analogy Jesus gave of the of the of the unjust judge, and then. Someone prays about something and doesn't get an answer to it, or gets an, a totally different, opposite answer. So then, what you have is, if you pray, you shall receive. I prayed, I didn't get. So you can, it, it, there is a bit of there's a bit of disparity in it. So, so now, how do you? Well, this is just one question, and I don't want to go into the rest, but I would, I would like to get to pick your brains on this. But how do you make sense of such disparities where the Bible gives an absolute, but you can't really see that absolute in reality? Thank you. So, yeah, that's... Thank you. I will just reiterate that question. How do you navigate? What is the response to the Bible giving an absolute that cannot be consistently seen? Is that correct? Yeah, he's raising yes. his finger. He's saying yes. yes. All right. Well, you interpret absolutes within the context of other absolutes. A good example is this. Okay. The disciples, and I don't know what scripture it is, the disciples want to cast out a demon. Right? And I'm going to answer this through four different lenses. Holy Ghost, I have said four. Make it four. Love you. Okay. So the first concept is you interpret, the first view is you interpret absolutes within absolutes. So the disciples want to cast out demons. They pray, the demon doesn't go. Jesus comes, he prays, the demon leaves. They said, why? He says, this kind can go out with only prayer and fasting. That's an absolute um, statement in itself, is it not? Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. So yes. you interpret that absolute of, and I'm using the example you used. I'm not saying this is the case for everything in itself like this example is not the case for everything but then there's the absolute where if you ask god for a thing it shall happen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's the absolute of there are some things you ask god for you have to pray and fast for mm -hmm. there's another absolute where god tells you he says you shall say to a mountain move and it will move mm -hmm. so there's that absolute as well mm -hmm. and then there's another absolute where paul comes and says some of you don't see the things you pray for because you pray amiss I think that James. Mm -hmm. There's another absolute. And there's another absolute in Romans, I believe, where it says there's an infirmity with you. You don't even know what to pray for. Mm -hmm. Do you understand? Yeah. The problem is we try to interpret scripture independently when in reality the entirety is the word of God. Mm -hmm. Right? And so you, and I can't now investigate everything for you. So look mm -hmm. into that. Are there other absolutes that this, because there's one thing now, I, I'm going to be honest and dead honest with you, very honest. 
my sister passed away in 2018, September 2nd. I had never prayed like that until then. I prayed overnight straight, where was sleep? I, you can't, nobody can look me in the face and say, I fasted. I saw she died, I said she would rise up. In fact, I was telling my sister, mommy, don't cry yet, she's going to rise up. Right? I prayed straight up. You can't tell me I do not have faith. And I was angry at God. I said, why? <laughs> Forget the fact that before my sister died, she told me, I'm going to die. I can sense it. Like there are times, there was one time when she was driving with her friends and then she was like, I had a sense we are going to crash. Like I saw us crash and then we crashed. Being, I think it's time for me to go. I genuinely believe I'm going to die. The next day she had a surgery. She said, Finn, take care of Darasini. I knew she was going to do. And I said, no. And then I took a long walk. I walked for, for miles. I was coming back and I said, and then the Holy Ghost said, are you ready to talk? I said, yes. He said, who prayed when Stephen died? In the Bible, when Stephen died, who prayed? Oh, Stephen, come back. Come back now. Was it because he did not have loved ones? No. Within the absolute that I would get everything I prayed for, there is another absolute that in death, God has won. I am my will to death is no longer, oh, don't let it happen. When it happens, to live is Christ, to die is dead. That's another absolute. Are we together? Yes, ma'am. And the problem is we see things quantified, whereas God sees it in whole. He sees it in whole. So does that answer your question? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes, it does. Yes, it does. If you are if, in, in the context of, of, of what you said, it does. I don't want. I think other people may have other questions, so I, I don't want to. And um, I, um, I, I don't want to ask further questions based on on your response. But I think that would that would work for now. If I have other questions, I'll be I'll be to privately. Okay, but but reach out to me privately. Okay, please. My Instagram is Ruby. You 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 did, you you did understand the response, right? So I've gotten the response this before, and I have a que- and oh. I, I have a question, and I have I have a question to this response, right? So, but I don't want to um, spend more time asking. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's going to it's going to it's going to you know you know it's going to lead to a whole <laughs> lot of. By the, by the uh, way, we love Kenichi on this platform because he has questions. We love him in Bible I think he should actually ask the follow-up questions. Me too. So yeah. For people around can actually just pick up and um, learn one of the things as well. So yeah. Kenichi, also, if you if you have a question to ask, just uh, use the um, raise hand feature on the chat so we can anticipate your question. Make sure that we do everything within the time for the meeting. So yeah, um, Kirichi, go ahead. Do I have a question, Yeah, we're all we're all heirs now. Okay, I think Adimala has a question. Let's hear him out. Okay. Adimala, go ahead. I can't hear you. Okay, can you hear me now? Yes. 
I'm trying to ask that. Does it mean when we lost someone, maybe a young person or someone still know that African just pray? Can't we pray or we need to be led or something like that? I just want to know. Okay, so, I didn't quite get that. Yeah, can you are you covering the, the microphone on your phone? No, 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 I'm not. Um let me let, I heard him clearly. Okay. He said what it means is does this mean that when someone does die, that um we have to be led to like pray for the person and all that. I, I'm guessing that's um, that's basically what he said. Am I right? Well, well, that's wrong because here's the thing, right? <sighs> Leading is not bad, right? It's not to say that entirely wrong, right? Um, there are places where and, and I think that is the answer to a large extent, right? But I want to paint it the right way. There was a time in when Paul was teaching, he was teaching and he bored people. Somebody fell off a window, when they erased the person, continued the teaching. <laughs> right? Um, and that's why I, I, as a believer, I emphasize, emphasize relationship with the Holy Ghost. Relationship with the Holy Ghost. A good example is this. There was one time when I, um, and you're, you could say that leading, that if that's the answer you're saying, you could say that, but I also want to expand more. There was one time when I had somebody that needed healing. I looked up to her, I said, can I pray for you? She said, yes. I said, okay, I prayed for her. And this response will lead to two different things. I prayed for her, nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. It's not even that sad, nothing happened. Um, some days later, um, it wasn't some days later, some months later, self, um, this young girl reached out to me and said she had a fibroid and that she would like a prayer. And I was afraid. I said, I've prayed before, nothing happened. <laughs> right? So I got on a call from my friends and we started talking back and forth. And he said, we're not healing because you saw results. You're healing because the Bible says so. The Bible says you heal. Your experience is good for them. The Bible says so. And this is one thing I was going to mention earlier when I was talking to him. Right? It's, that's, what, that's the only reason we are here. It's not because my experiences did not save me. Why should I be trusting them now? Right? And so I was like, okay, okay. Anyhow, Sha, we shall got into a place where I was really edified. And I'm not saying these are the ideal conditions. But I promise you, I was so edified. And for some reason, I was an influence of the Holy Ghost to genuinely believe I heal for lunch. I do this with my eyes closed. I said, so I called the baby. I said, what's up? You're about to get healed with our fibroid. I do this for lunch. <laughs> right? And she got healed. Literally. Literally got healed. She got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues, got healed of a fibroid. She couldn't bend over before she could bend over, ask for this, ask for checks. It was gone. I now want to pose you a question. Did it become true when I ran with it? Or was it also true when I did not see the result? It was true in both places, and that's the response. But the thing is this experiences good for you good for you experiences we can't run on experiences no 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 <laughs> absolutely not right and, and 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 i said that to say the leading of god matters being full of spirit matters there are things that some people will spend hours praying for some people will just walk over and do are we together, right? So I'm not creating a precedence where I say, oh, you have to be led by God to pray for somebody. No, <laughs> right? That's not always the thing. You have to be full of spirits, absolutely. 
right? And then even in the case where you are gingered up, you are full of spirit to say healing, go. Experiences did not save you. Experiences did not get you full of the spirit. Why should experiences determine you? Do you understand? The word of God is true, not because we experience it, but because it is true. It is true. And so scripture says, whose report shall we believe? Let God be true and every man be a liar. And then you can now say, oh, but, but does that mean that if I never see it, then fam, forget, run, run your race, right? I genuinely think so, genuinely, genuinely think so, right? So it, it's that thing where um, the word of God is true regardless of what I experience, right? If I had prayed for that young woman and nothing changed, the word of God was still true, right? The experience is not a litmus test for the believer, it's not. It's just that experience. It's not a litmus test, right? The, the idea that it is a litmus test, because here's what the Hebrew boy said. We know our God will save us, even if he doesn't. He is still worthy of worship. He is still God. He is still good. He can still save. He is still saving. Do you understand? I think I think it's a yes from okay. Anything else? Yeah. Any other questions? I'm so scared of man. Christianity Christianity is the practice of truth. It's a practice yeah. of truth. And it's the practice of truth. I want to have believers that will raise the dead. And I don't want to have it as a personal project, but because God will have it so. I want to have believers that will heal the sick left and right, that heal the sick for lunch. I want to raise them. I want to be one. And I will. I will do both. Well, I'm full, fully aware of it. Me, you'll be. Forget. <laughs> Forget. All right, I, see, I see Jemima's hand up again. No, right, Jemima, let me hear. Yeah. You can I be your friend. And uh, toss me with money, please. Yeah. <laughs> toss me with dollars. <laughs> Okay, I have a question. Absolutely, 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 absolutely. But define friend. What do you mean by friend? Anna? No, let's talk later. Let's talk later. Don't don't let all these people hear. It's about us, okay? It's about okay. us. Okay. <laughs> After right. my, my second screen will be. Are there anything else? Is there anything else? Anything else you need to cover? Uh, Treasure, you had a question. Um. Yeah, I do actually. Um. Okay. Hi, Finn. Good evening. Oh, good afternoon. Sorry. <laughs> um, quick one. Um, I don't know how much, and just so that I don't have to go into too much details, I don't know how much you do a lot of um, intellectual study. And the um, reason I'm about to ask this question is because I've had, I've had a lot of engagements recently, or I've had engagements recently whereby they seem to be too very in opposing views when except especially when it comes to engaging people who don't believe in the concept of god at all and um, one of those views has to be with the fact that i don't know if you've ever heard of something called presuppositionalism um the concept whereby you argue from the scriptures uh basically when you're going to meet an atheist there you can have no meeting ground or no level ground with this atheist you have to argue from scriptures then there's the classical method where you have the cosmological arguments or the morality arguments and all that, et cetera, et cetera. 
So my question to you right now is because I've seen people who say, you know what, you can never have a leveled ground with an atheist. You can never have a leveled or a logical conversation with an atheist because you can't start from what they use. The terminology is used a lot is you can't start from an unlogical position. And a lot of times I've happened to be on the other side and saying, look, you bring up or you post the scriptures first. And then the question they tell you is, um, you can't argue from that because we don't even believe in the positions that you hold in the first place. So my question to you is simple. Um, when you're having to talk with an atheist, what, if I may use this word, what is like your preferred approach when you have to talk to someone who doesn't believe in God at all? All right. It depends on what kind of talking you're doing, what platform it is on. When it comes to a person and person, the first thing I do is humanize them. When it comes to even typing, the first thing I do is humanize them. And here's what I mean by humanize them. There is, there is a consumerist approach to people that believers often have where you think you are there to conquer and subjugate. When in reality, you're just there to talk. Humanize them. You're human just like I am. So... I have atheists that I genuinely have had, but like we don't do basketballs, literally. There was one of the one, one time on Twitter, this guy and I were talking. And then after that, we we I had this conversation where I responded. He said, Oh, that was well said. And then somebody now said, You spoke like an old person. After that, I roasted him. I said, You sound like you are a middle-aged man with five children and one on the way. And he laughed. And so there's cordiality, there's humanizing where you dignify people. And I say that intentionally. Because we have this idea that atheists are all the same. In my experience, I found different types of atheists. My favorite type of atheists are the ones that tell you exactly what they believe, why they believe it, and tell you what do you think. Oh, those ones. Oh, those ones. My favorites. Second favorites <laughs> are the ones that tell you what they believe, why they believe it, and how you are wrong. <laughs> those ones. Third ones. The ones that tell you what they believe, why they believe it, and say it go be. <laughs> they don't care. Fourth one, the ones that tell you why, what they believe, they don't tell you what they believe, just tell you what they believe. The last ones, the ones that don't tell you what they believe, why they believe it, they just come there to insult you. <laughs> they just come there to insult you. And I think that conversations we cater to each type of atheist. Now, there's the other part where, and this is what I call syllabus. You can't start a conversation about God from scripture. You first have to prove that scripture is scripture. How can I know that this is valid? And, and that's why I put forth the idea that if you really want to have a conversation with an atheist, you can't break off years of atheism in one conversation. Do you understand? So it's something you have to actually invest in as a relationship. As a relationship. I have an atheist friend right now. I love him. And we, we talk back and forth. And recently he was talking to me about James. He said, do you know James is actually proof that there was no doctrinal congruence with the early church? I said, bring it up. Let me see. He said, James chapter 2 verse 14 says, can this faith, can faith save you? Faith without works, can it save you? I said, hold on, let's go into the originals. <laughs> and I explained it that that verse was actually saying, can the kind of faith without works save you? And it's true. If your faith is not bearing fruit, it's not really faith, it's calm. And that's really what James is about. Faith without works is dead. Because if, if, if it is real faith, it will have works. If it's not real, do you understand? He's saying by the works, you can tell the faith. That was the point. So he wasn't really saying, oh, faith versus works. No. 
he was referring to a kind of faith and he expounded on it. He said, oh, wow, that makes sense. <laughs> right? There are atheists like that. But I also believe in, and I'm going to mention, syllabus. You can't start with somebody that doesn't believe God exists. What? Oh, do you understand? So you'll start with the basic things. And that's one thing I mentioned, does truth exist? Okay, if truth exists, can we say God exists? Right? Um, I'm forced to say that God exists with, because the, the, the entire thesis of Christianity is in a couple of things. God exists. He was Jesus Christ. In fact, aside from God exists, the Bible is how we can know about God. In everything, Christianity must claim that God exists. The Bible is how we can know about him. And the Bible is what he uses to talk about his plan with mankind. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ died and rose again. So you're saying that every book in the Bible is valid. <laughs> it makes sense. And that's how you go into historical accuracy, archaeological accuracy. And there's something, there's one argument I make. I call it the divine argument. Oh, I love it so much. The fact that every book in the Bible makes sense only when you look to one person in the annals of history. One person, Christ. And so Isaiah mentions a type of death and pain that at the time he mentioned it did not exist. Crucifixion. He was bruised for your iniquities, but his stripes, you are healed. That kind of beating did not exist at that time. But it makes sense when you look at one person. That's one of my biggest arguments for the validity of the Bible as a whole. I call it divine argument. The fact that different portions of scripture, so Ezekiel dreams about the son of man who will get them raised up on high. See Ezekiel or Daniel. Right? Ruth is, is only important because of our relation to the Messiah. Right? And, and John begins with the word became flesh. God tells Eve, your seed shall, he literally tells that your sperm shall bruise the head of the serpent. That only makes sense when you look at Christ. The Bible has an entire thesis that can only make sense in the person of Christ. That begs the question, was Christ historical? Was he mythical? And another one of the things that I call for, for thinking in a sense, you have to anticipate the question. There are some people that I will talk to and then they'll ask me a question. I'll say, thank you for asking. I, I wanted you to ask me that. <laughs> right? So there's a part of for thinking. So when I'm having questions with different atheists, right? When I'm a question with an atheist, I want to know what I think about something. I will first start with something that I think is foundational. Does truth exist? If they say, oh, yeah, truth exists. Okay, then we can go on to arguments for God and arguments for the Bible. Then I can ask you. Yeah. Sorry, most times when you when you start with the whole does truth exist, the follow-up question you would actually or that comes to my mind sometimes, or I've heard people ask sometimes is what exactly would you define as truth? One. Number two, you have some people who are misguided in thinking that um truth is basically relative and basically wherever you define it to be. So in the case whereby, in the case whereby you have such responses as your follow-up question because one of the hardest <clears throat> one of the things you're going to have to find yourself defending is what exactly is truth and all and in the case whereby you're asked those kind of questions what do you see next okay there's one simple analogy i had a friend that said well truth is relative i said okay slapper did i slap you or did your face jelly walk slowly what is your truth and my truth in this case Can you give me an answer to that? What is your truth and my truth here? That the Bible slapped. <laughs> exactly. So truth can the truth so is not because even the concept that truth is subjective is an objective statement. But it's then a again, statement. 
then again, what would you define truth as? <sighs> truth has a large um definition. Rabbi Zacharias has an entire list on what truth is. Yep. <laughs> Rabbi Zacharias has an entire list on what truth is. Can I, truth can is I, something. Can I, can One second. Can I just, For the believer, truth is anything God says about a topic, right? For the unbeliever, truth is something that can be consistently and there's a way to put it consistently verified. Exerted all these things. Michelle <laughs> has the definition. I think but then I, the answer to the idea of relative truths, right? The answer to the idea of relative truth is literally there's a part where you can say perspectives matter, but truth is truth, right? There's a part where you can say, oh, maybe a perspective to it matters, right? But then doesn't change the fact that centrally an objective thing can be what's the word viewed or um, aesthetic, objectively. If you stole from a bank, you stole from a bank. There is no, well, technically, did you steal from the bank? Or did the bank come to your house? No. Perspective can matter. You can say, oh, I didn't really steal from the bank if really the bank was um, stealing from me. That's a matter of perspective. But the objective statement is, the money was not given to you. It's other people's money. You went there against the law and stole it. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Fini. We're already running out of time. We can only take one more question. You see, when we say ask questions, you will wait till the last moment. You people are funny. But yeah, I just wanted to add something before I allow Dami to speak. I think she has had her hand up for a while. Uh, most of the things that Fini has mentioned in passing, we've done a whole lot of teachings on them here in Bible Marathon from everything, the origin of the Bible, you know, every, all of that stuff in our previous um, episodes. Um, I think Daniel will be able to put that in the chat. We have a whole podcast of um, on our Apologetic Sunday. You can go there, get all these answers. Everything is there. Also, we recommend a lot of books. You know, one of the books we would recommend is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's a powerful book for the defense of the gospel. But I just don't want us to miss something because I might not get to talk again um, at the very end. Remember, it is not just an intellectual activity. That's what we need to leave here with. Okay, that's my boy. He has the book. If you're looking for the book, it's right there. Um, you, you don't want to have it as just an intellectual conversation. Remember that the apostles, they, it wasn't all about eloquence of speech. You would need to communicate truth, yes, but it was always with the power of God following. So please have that at the back of your mind. Um, Dami, go ahead with your question. And once Dami is done, I have a few announcements for us and then we'll close. All right. Yeah, thank you very much, Ernest. I'm sorry, I was I just found it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm not joking. Jokingly serious. Okay. Yeah, fast forward. So here's my question, right? And I'm really hoping we don't have to take too long to answer, considering time. Um, I had been thinking about the concept of God testing people, right? Like, and I have a specific word in mind how God tested Abraham. Like, I understand that as believers, we walk through, like, trials and tribulations. I understand where, um, you know, and even in those trials, we see God's hand, God's ability to bring good 
from it. Like, I mean, thinking, for instance, it's the situation that James was referring to in James chapter one, you know, how trials and tribulations bring out a stronger faith or endurance and patience and all of that. But um, in, in, and, and how trials and tribulations come because, you know, we live in a fallen world and the likes. But then in the book of Genesis, like in Genesis 22, it was literally stated there that God tested Abraham. Like, and sometimes I think it, it just had to know, I know God doesn't teach us, like he doesn't inflict trials on us to teach us lessons. We can learn from them. He doesn't but like inflict it to, yeah, I'm sure you guys get what I'm trying to say. But my question is like, what about a situation where God tests? Does God test? Like, and in what context? How, how do we, you know, view that? That's, that's my question. Okay, first of all, I want to, um, yeah? One second. I love that I don't have a shutter card. All right. Um, Thank you, Jesus, because you're good. So I want to just make a good, the good distinction between testing and tempting, right? Um, to test something is to see how authentic it is. To tempt something is to make it fall. There's a difference. Are we together? Yeah. The, and that's why James says, do not be deceived. God is not evil, he does not tempt. The devil mm. in a position of tempting was tempting to make Jesus fall. God tempts, tempts, you know the time, so please, tempts, <laughs> tempts, right? To try, mm. to try, to try, right? And if you want to use 22, and I love that you use Genesis chapter 22, God tests Abraham as a this thing, as a, a, what's the word? Because it's the first place in, in a sense that it's mentioned, right? Mm. Um, and the first place I think, we now have a new para, what's the, what's the word, parameters, where first God tests within the concept of a relationship, not life happening to you. Are we mm. together? This wasn't mm. Abraham waking up one day and then Isaac was like, oh, I'm about to die. And then God said, I'm testing you. No. Mm-hmm. this was within the context of a relationship he says give him to me do you trust me right not look at that bad thing do it I'm tempting you are you a good person or no <laughs> right it was to test the word there means to try to test and so it's within the con- within the confines of a relationship so life happening to you is not God testing you. God testing you would be, and I'll give a good example. One time I prayed to God that God, I want plenty money. <laughs> I said, God, give me plenty money. Let my enemies be crazy. God gave me plenty money. Then my eyes were spent for $100. I was, I was happy. And then this young woman came and said, Fee, I have a need. Holy Ghost, I give it to her. I said, sir, <laughs> I said, get the behind me, oh, you devil. Stop it. Don't play with me. I work hard for this $100. I want to give it to somebody. I said, devil, be silent. Holy Ghost said, you don't finish. Send it to her. Mm-hmm. The testing and the trying will prove what kind of seed you have. And I sent it to her. 
And it is the same way that the grave was not a testing ground because is Jesus really good? Is no. It it was it was a revelation of the person within it. Do you understand? And so he could walk out of this because this, and I want to explain this well, that for God, testing is done within the confines of a relationship to show what he has given to you. Because mm. before this, Christian says, Abraham believed and was counted unto him for righteousness. We'll find mm. in Galatians that this scripture, when Abraham did it and gave his son, Scripture says he believed that God will raise him from the dead. It was to show to try to show what was already in mm. not to, to God is omniscient. <laughs> Do you understand? It was mm-hmm. to show what was already there. It's the same with the grave. And, and I, I love the way AJ, my, my friend Abraham, put it. What doesn't kill you doesn't make you stronger. It reveals how strong you are. Right? So first, it's within the confines of a relationship. It's not, I lost my job. God is testing me. Mm-hmm. Right? That's life happening. Mm-hmm. And God comforts people. It's within the confines of a relationship. Where sometimes mm. <laughs> it's within the confines of a relationship. And so the second part is also, it is there to show what is already within. God said, okay, because God already, there was already the Jesus. Like if you follow the idea, Abraham believed those kind of things for righteousness. He already had faith. Right? And so God said, Give me your son to test the seed of what was already within. Yeah. Does that make sense? Lots of sense. Thank you so much. Glory to God. I will complete that. I'm sorry. I will complete that with the application. Right. That time that I sent that $280 was the day my desire for money died personally. If you know me personally, if God says send, I will send it. <laughs> I don't care. That was the day my desire for money died. That's never been since then. I don't count the cost of any money I spend on the gospel personally. And I say that is all glory to God, literally. Yeah. Application. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Man, this was an amazing time. I'm sure everyone can attest to that. I want to say a big thank you to Fee. Let me just um, put this on the screen. Yeah. Thank you so much, Fee, for an amazing time. We're super blessed. Um, can we all just show our love and appreciation for this wonderful lady? Unmute yourself and say, we love you, Finn. We love yeah, you. Yeah, we love you. 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 We to you honestly for showing up um and i know we had a conversation earlier and you were able to still make out time thank you so much for coming the bmg family here loves you uh, and um someone said i always bring the best people and it's true you're one of the best people and i'm glad to have you as a friend in my life and even here being a blessing to all of us thank you so much all right, and to all of the people who came visiting, this is Bible Marathon. We love you. If you have an amazing group, you don't have to be with us, all right? Um, if you make sure that you're plugged into a local church, make sure you have a family of believers that you're accountable to. But if you are that kind of person who doesn't really have that community and you need some kind of structure for accountability, for growth, for learning more about God and building your, your faith, um bmg is welcoming you as well if you want to be a part of this family you know 
join us. Next week is, who can guess? It's our Charisma Sunday, all right? And so in Charisma Sunday, that's when we talk about everything from the gifts of the Spirit to ministration, uh, ministering to God and everything that has to do with our charismatic ministry. And this Sunday is special because we are going to be having psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, all right? We're going to have time of learning what, what songs are and how they are powerful in our in our walk with God and how, and we're also going to have a time of worship together. So there'll be more information on the group. All right. So don't miss this, be there. All right. Um, and as we always do, we have our accountability groups that meets every week. So we're reading chapter nine to chapter 11. All right. So second Corinthians chapter nine to chapter 11, please don't miss it. Um, meet up with your your accountability group this week. All right. And then I have a special message from Treasure. Treasure is working on a thesis. All right. It's called the, the concept of God. And anyone who's interested in working together with him on that, we know we, we love growing in knowledge here, Bible Marathon. So if you want to be a part of what he's doing, and by the way, don't think it's a mystery that Finney can communicate the way she is communicating. It's not like, oh, the Holy Spirit just opened her head and put it there. She has done due diligence. That's what we talk about. You must study, show yourself approved, put in the work, you know. And so if you want to be a part of that process, uh, reach out to Treasure personally on the WhatsApp group. Um, It will be good for you to have that time of personal study. Get to know who God is. I mean, no amount of intellectual work you put in will help you, will let you know the fullness of our God, but it's worth the attempt. All right, don't run from that. Um, You need to know your father personally. So at this point, I want to say thank you, everyone. Um, if you have, if you, we, we, we're done. All right. I'm going to pray for us to go. Um, but we normally have an after party where people who don't have anything to do now will stay back and just gist and, you know, so if you want to stay back, feel free to stay back. All right. But we are done now. It's time to pray. All right. Let's, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, love you so much. We thank you because your word is truth. Your word is life. It's a light onto our path and a lamp onto our feet. We know exactly what to do because you lead us. Um, We thank you because you've given us a ministry of reconciliation. The world must hear this gospel. And Lord, we ask that there is a stirring in our hearts, not only for knowledge, but a desire to see people saved. The same desire you have for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, let it be real. Let it be genuine. Lord, no more empty hallelujahs from us. Let it be real. Let our relationship and our walk of faith be real. Help us to step out boldly with the gospel. And Lord, everything that is required to make ourselves and to show ourselves approved, we work by your power and by your spirit for the glory of God alone in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.